Today we begin a four-part sermon series on the parables of Jesus, which, contrary to popular opinion, are not simple stories he told so that even kids could understand, but actually the opposite. Puzzling, mind-blowing riddles that cause us to ponder. So listen to this reading from Matthew 13, beginning at verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Having taught at the seminary for 30 years, I estimate that I graded thousands of sermons. Maybe millions. Okay, not millions. But thousands for sure. And it was exhausting but exhilarating. It was a sacred privilege. Sometimes it was just an emailed copy of a sermon in process. But a lot of times the preacher male, female, would preach to the class and then sit down and we would circle her and we would give feedback about the handling of the biblical text, about the theology that was proclaimed, but also things like what was said and left unsaid, what maybe should have been left unsaid, and how it all got arranged. It was a sacred privilege. If I were grading the sermon from Matthew that we read, I would probably give it a B minus, which is a good grade, but not a great one. And I don't mean the one by Jesus about the sower. I'm not grading Jesus. I mean Matthew, his telling of it, his crafting of it, and not just here, but in this chapter and in the whole of his gospel sermon. To sum it up, here's what I would say. It's too small. It's just too subdued. It could be grander. It could be bigger and bolder. Like, for instance, in this sower one, it's off to a really good start. He says there were great crowds. But the pulpit is a makeshift boat that Jesus puts out to. That's not grand enough. This is not even grand enough. You know the ones back east where the preacher has to climb upstairs? That's what Jesus needs there. And when he starts describing how some of the seed fell among soils and it didn't take root, well, just leave that out. I mean, nobody wants to come to church and hear bad news of what didn't work. And when you get to the harvest and you got 30, 60, 100, well, just add a few zeros. I mean, they're just zeros, right? What harm would there be? In the ancient world, when Matthew was writing, Hyperbole was a known rhetorical tool. Nowadays, we call it ministerial exaggeration, but that's, you know, it's hyperbole. He does a good job on the next page. Matthew says, Jesus told about a mustard seed, the smallest of all the seeds. That's not true. And how it 
It became a bush, and then it became a tree. And that's not true either. They don't become trees. Now, that's a good start. People love big trees. Call it a sequoia, Matthew. (laughs) People love big trees, little to big. You know, like the church that says, well, we started in a basement with three couples and some pizza, and now we've got six flags over Jesus. (laughs) You've got to ride a tram in from the parking lot and memorize where you parked. People love those kind of stories. See, I get the idea Matthew never went to the preacher conferences. You haven't been to one of these. Count your blessings. There's, there's a donut in one hand and coffee in the other, and the preachers are standing around. And, and then very casually, this is a gift, they will just humbly brag. You know, like, our fourth service hardly runs a thousand these days. How's it going at your church? It's not so much testimony as testosterone. I'm glad he didn't go to the conference. But if you back up and you look at the whole of Matthew's gospel sermon, it's still, it's just too small. Like, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. No, 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 no. Have his parents be from small Bethlehem. Have him born in Jerusalem the city of God, the city of David. And, and what's this thing with magi coming? Do you know what magi were? They were like half-crazed astrologers. But luckily, for some crazy reason, tradition has it that they were kings, and that's a whole lot better than magi. You get the picture, right? So when he gets to the middle and he tells those feeding narratives... 5,000, 4,000, and both times he says, not counting women and children. What? Are you kidding? You gotta count the women and children. You see what will happen? You'll get credit for social justice and you can bump up the numbers. 10,000 served. It'll be like McDonald's. It's bigger is better. I'm, I'm not real fond of his ending either. Jesus rides into town on a donkey. Make it a stallion. And then he's betrayed by Judas who goes and hangs himself. Are you kidding? He only had 12 to start with, tax collectors and fishermen, and now he's down to 11. This thing's going downhill. Yeah, yeah, it ends with resurrection, but you had to get him killed by the Romans on a cross to get there. Well, preachers can only take so much feedback. So Matthew's sitting there, Mark, Luke, John, we all just finally say, okay, we've given him enough to think about. Go home, watch the video, see what you think. See, the thing about preaching, whether you're the preacher or the listener or the one doing the critique, the thing about preaching is you always have to go back to the text. The text will tell you what to do. And I don't mean this one here in Matthew. I mean the one he's referring to, likely, over in Genesis. It's the story of Isaac's field. Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah, he's going to go down to Egypt, the land of plenty. And God says, no, 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 plant here in the land that I've given you. And he does, and it produces a crop of a hundredfold. Just like here, a hundredfold. But turns out, in the ancient world, that was a, a good crop, but not a great crop. It was a B-minus crop, not an A-plus. There were writers who, when they described harvest, they said a thousandfold, a millionfold. They knew how to exaggerate. Matthew's, eh, it's a hundred. 
Why? Why limit it to 100? Good, but not great. Well, Matthew knows that the kingdom of God is it's pretty small compared to the kingdom of Rome. This big monstrosity. You know those pumpkins that are on your porch that are about yay big? They're never going to win at the state fair. You know those 900-pound pumpkins? That's the big stuff. But Matthew and Jesus, they know that's not the kingdom of God. It's not that big. It's not that grand. It's not that glorious. There's a kind of subdued character. At least there was. But then something happened. Early part of the 4th century, Constantine becomes the emperor of Rome. And he converts to Christianity, and he makes it legal for Christianity to flourish. And by the end of the century, this little bitty thing that had started becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire, so that eventually a Vatican is built in Rome. Have you seen it? It's big, and we've been building cathedrals ever since. Most of them would dwarf this place. Except, I'm guessing, you know that a lot of them are empty nowadays. Last 25, 30 years, the cathedrals have more tourists than worshipers. And religious people kind of get nervous. What's the future? What's the future of this church? What's the future of Christianity? What's it going to be like post-pandemic? But that's when you have to go back to the text. A hundredfold. It's not... It's not grand, but it's big. In fact, in the parable of the mustard seed, it doesn't become a tree, but it becomes a bush big enough, big enough for the birds to nest in. Shade and shelter. Yesterday, we finished today, 100 trees planted Have you seen those studies about the difference between canopy coverage in the inner city versus the suburbs and the difference it makes in the quality of life? Or or think about the shelter that's provided. Half a million dollars of our campaign is going to build homes for the poor. That's gospel. Or here in the parable of the sower, hundredfold. It's not the biggest harvest, but it's enough To feed us at this table, it's enough to feed this city. So I'd probably have to do something I didn't do that often. I'd have to email Matthew and say, I've reconsidered, I'm going to bump your grade up, A+. I didn't give very many of those. But it's a good sermon because it's not just what gets said, it's what gets done. I think I've probably told some of you about what I thought at the time was maybe one of the worst sermons I ever heard. I was in Atlanta on sabbatical, and I was floating around to different churches, and I could pretty much tell. He, he started in on the feeding of these thousands in the wilderness, but it was just way too much bragging, too cute. So I kind of tuned him out. But near the end, he got my attention. He said, reach under your pew. There's, there's little paper bags, little paper sacks, I want, I want you to pick one of those up. And I was about to roll my eyes when he said, we're going to take up food collections over the next few weeks, and then we're going to feed the poor. 
And I thought, well, that's the best sermon I ever heard. Just how big is God's garden? Big enough. 